This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. On today's show, we're going to do something a bit different, and we're going to talk about all things whiskey. Specifically, we're going to talk a lot about commercial whiskey with the creator of a podcast called Poet Up. His name is Mike Alcott, and he's tasted a lot of whiskeys from around the world. And we're going to do a deep dive today on homebrewing DIY. What's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Building recipes and taking good notes are two of the key fundamentals of making great beer. This is one of the first things that you learn when becoming a new brewer. I started taking notes on a sheet from my extract kit and then quickly moved to brewing software. I've tried many different types of brewing software and then I found Brewfather. This is the one piece of software that you need for recipes and very detailed brew day notes, as well as fermentation notes. Brewfather also integrates with some of the topics that we discuss on the show, like the till hydrometer, the ice spindle, and ferment track. You need no other piece of software than Brewfather. One of the best parts of Brewfather is that you can try it for free. All you need to do is head to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on the Brewfather banner to sign up for free today. Once again, that's homebrewingdiy.beer, and sign up for Brewfather today. Keeping a clean brewery is the key to making great beer that doesn't get contaminated. Do you use a glass or plastic carboy for your fermentation? Did you know that getting your carboy clean can be tough, especially removing the cruising ring? Even with traditional carboy cleaning tools, it can take a lot of time and not get your carboy completely clean. Well, today there's a new tool that can easily clean your carboy and do it fast, and that tool is called a scrubber ducky. Scrubber duckies are a new magnetic carboy cleaner that are easy to use and get the cleaning results required in brewing. 
drop a magnetic scrubber into your carboy and be able to scrub away all of the grime in that hard to clean cruisin. They are no match for scrubber duckies and you can get yours today at scrubberduckies.com. Once again, head over to scrubberduckies.com. Welcome back to Homebrewing DIY, the podcast that takes on the do-it-yourself aspect of homebrewing. Gadgets, contraptions, and parts, this podcast covers it all. On today's show, we're going to talk about the wonderful world of whiskey with the creator and producer of the Poet Up podcast, Mike Olcott. But first, I'd like to thank all of our patrons. It's with your support that we can keep this show coming to you week after week. So head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Right now, if you give at the $1 level, you will get access to our ad-free RSS feed, which is normally set aside for the $5 level. I'll also send you a set of homebrewing DIY stickers. That's for the first 20 people at the $1 level. I'd also like to thank our newest patron, Greg. He gave at the supporter level, which I can't thank you enough, Greg. That one always means a ton to me since it's at such a high level. So once again, if you'd like to support the show, head over to patreon.com forward slash homebrewing DIY. Another way you can support the show is to rate us and review us. If you head over to Apple Podcasts or Podchaser.com, even on Stitcher as well, you can write a review about the show, and that helps others find the show because your reviews really do matter. Also, I do appreciate the feedback. I've actually made direct changes to the show based on feedback from our supporters. Another way that you can support the show is to head over to our website, homebrewingdiy.beer, and click on our sponsor links. If you want to buy brewing software from Brewfather, or if you want to shop at Cherokee Brew Supply, if you click on those links, it lets them know that we sent you, and then they will also support the show in turn. Cherokee Brew Supply has some great deals for you. If you have any orders over $100, if you use the promo code HOMEBREWINGDIY, all one word, you'll get 10% off. And if you have any orders over $58, you're going to get free shipping. So head over to CherokeeBrewSupply.com. Another announcement I have to make at the website is that if you head over to the support page on our website, you'll have all the different ways you can support the show. But we also have released our new t-shirt store. So it's powered by TeePublic. But if you go over and click on that link and buy any of those shirts, you're going to support the show as well. I'd also like to set out a reminder that on Thursday, the 30th of April at 7 p.m. Mountain Time, we are doing our homebrewers discussion. We're going to have Ryan Packmeyer. He's been on a couple of our episodes. He's going to do a Q&A in our Discord server. To access that server, just head over to homebrewingdiy.beer and click on join the discussion. Once you get into the Discord server, if you go under the announcement section, you'll see the instructions on how to participate. I'm really excited about this one. Ryan's a great brewer and a great friend. And to be honest, you're going to get a lot of different questions answered when it comes to brewing big beers or brewing in barrels. So very excited about this homebrewers Q&A. 
If you are planning on participating on May 2nd, 2020, that is actually this Saturday, it is the world's largest virtual big brew from the Homebrewers Association. Head over to homebrewersassociation.org to find out more information. But on Saturday, May 2nd, will be the virtual big brew. I have a bit of a story to tell when it comes to my brewing. I'm finally getting rid of my fermentation chamber. I have it on the side of my house. I need to actually figure out how I'm going to dispose of it. That's a whole nother project. But right now, I currently have a brand new chest freezer. Evan Sherlock, who's done a couple of shows, he does our homebrew hack show with us in the month of December. He actually had an extra chest freezer that was given to him. His wife actually said he's not allowed to have another refrigerator. So Boom, it's sitting on my back porch and getting ready to be converted into a new fermentation chamber. I'm very excited about it. One problem I had is that as I was swapping out all the electronics, I somehow broke my ferment track controller. So it's actually a good opportunity for me to start from scratch. So I am in the process of building a new one. I'm going to switch to the ESP8266 from the Arduino version, and I'm going to rewire the whole thing. And I even have one of the people that is in my Discord server, pretty sweet guy. He's going to 3D print me a brand new enclosure for it. So pretty excited about the new ferment track project. Well, enough about me. Let's jump into today's show where we're going to talk to Mike Alcott about all of his adventures with drinking whiskey and how he found a cool new podcast called Poe It Up. I'd like to welcome Mike Alcott from the Poe It Up podcast. He has an amazing podcast that talks all about whiskey, so I'd like to welcome Mike. Hey, thanks, Coulter. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, so let's just dive into the Poet Up podcast and start there. I'd like to talk a bit about what just pre-roll of this when we were having a chat before we got started. You were giving me a breakdown of how your podcast was found, and I think that's a good place to start. How'd you get into podcasting about whiskey? Sure. Perfect place to start. And my girlfriend, you know, started taking a look at my whiskey collection. She said, you know a lot about this. It sounds like you're speaking in tongues when you start chatting shop about whiskey. So uh, y'all should start a podcast. And you love sitting around drinking, talking about whiskey with your friend Devin. You should bring him on. She said, you two should be the hosts. I'll be the producer. And I said, that is a fantastic idea. All we got to do is get Devin on board. So we went over to his house. We had this master plan just to get him drunk enough to agree to do a podcast with us. And we did like a 15-course whiskey pairing. We did Blanton's Gold from Japan. And then we had a, a Lafroig Cardias cask strength. And we compared two Buffalo Traces, the normal and the store pick. And every time we'd pour more whiskey, we'd say, Poe it up. And we'd start laughing. And we'd get drunker and drunker until the end of the night. We're just like, Poe it up powered up and Devin was totally into doing the podcast so that's what we agreed to name it right there and right then so barriers to entry for our podcast were minimal we got two microphones a switch and some free recording software and we went to it and you're on episode nine or ten now right we have grand plans for ten as soon as the quarantine is over 
during COVID, since we've been stuck at home, our producer, Rose, my girlfriend, has been jumping in and doing some bonus episodes with me. So that's been pretty fun, too. And under 10, episode 10 is going to be our under $10 bottles. So we've been blessed with an abundance of just phenomenally good whiskey. I mean, all the hard-to-get stuff, the rare stuff, the allocated bottles. We're going to just beat our palates up on this one, the under 10 category. Yeah. So let, let's talk a bit about tasting whiskey or actually let's just talk a, a general about whiskey culture right now. I, when I was a bartender for a long time, I would say I was a bartender all through the the 2000s from the late 90s through the 2000s. You know, vodka was the big drink. Martinis were mm-hmm. the thing. Gin was the thing. And only in the last, I would say, five years to seven years, whiskey has really taken off to become, uh, it, it's really become a thing that is like the spirit of choice for at least America. What What would you say is driving that? That's a great question. Uh, maybe just a revitalization in um, great whiskeys. You know, there's some fantastic offerings that have gone unchanged for a long time coming out of Kentucky. I think social media plays a big part in that, too. There's a, a lot of massive, massive whiskey groups on Facebook and Instagram, people that are, are sharing these bottles and their tasting experiences. I think people are going back to some of the traditional whiskey roots. And I, I love bourbon, scotch, Irish, rye, Japanese whiskey. There's just a ton to explore there. And then there's a lot of hunting going on too for these allocated bottles. I, I know you used to say back in the day you could get Blanton's anywhere, but it's a, a real struggle to go pick up a bottle of Blanton's anywhere. You got to know somebody, you got to find it. The secondary price is getting crazy for it too, because everybody's out to get those bottles. Yeah, and it seems like there's such demand and whiskey takes so long to age that there's really a shortage just based on the process to make whiskey, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and a lot of the name brands have the economy of scale to make bourbons and rise that are 12 years old and keep their prices down. There's a, just a ton of, of craft breweries or craft distilleries that are popping up where they can't do the same thing. They're going to be aged less. The cost is going to be higher. And if you look at somewhere that's running out of whiskeys because the demand is so great, look at Japan. Japan's been making phenomenal whiskeys at Nika and House Suntory. The Suntory brands are Yamazaki, Hakushu, and Hibiki. Those three, all of the age statements have been discontinued. And it's a small country that's making an exceptional product that got really popular, especially with the Olympics and now canceled Olympics. But people were, they were looking at keeping all of their whiskey in-house in Japan and it's all just been bought up and the, the prices have skyrocketed in the States because they simply just can't produce enough for the demand. Yeah, it's funny you say that. I, I was in Salt Lake City for the 2002 games and I was blown away at some of the access to spirits and wines that we didn't have when I was in normal production, I guess, or normal business levels, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, for example... Our, and it was a state-run liquor store, but our state-run liquor stores had access to liquors and wines, and specifically on the wine side, hmm. that we wouldn't have never had access to if we hadn't had the Olympics. It's like uh, these brands use the Olympics as kind of a, a marketing statement specifically to to make sure that they're, they're, they're marketing to that crowd. It's kind of funny that 
you say that because that that is something that I've seen at firsthand. Sure. And I, I got into whiskey a little bit too late. I was in Japan like seven years ago, and I wish I would have known more about it when I did because I didn't buy any whiskey then. <laughs> could have could have made a killing on some of the uh, some of the allocated bottles and the age statements that I could have picked up seven years ago. Well, let's talk a bit about the different whiskeys from different areas. I think that, you know, obviously there's two ways to spell whiskey. There's whiskey without an E in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I know that whiskey with an E in it means that it comes from Scotland. But the idea is that when we look at the different whiskey-producing regions of the world, you know, there's American whiskey. What other kinds of whiskey are there and, and where are they from globally? Sure. It's funny you mentioned the spelling between the the K-E-Y and the K-Y. The general rule of thumb I use is if there's an E in the country name, there's an E in the whiskey. So United States of America and Ireland, you can have the K-E-Y. If it's K-Y, look at Scotland and Japan. So no E in those country names. And then you have the whiskey and the whiskey. Uh, my understanding is that K-E-Y is a Gaelic pronunciation and spelling of it. So the Irish immigrants brought that over to the United States. But there's always going to be exceptions. I think right now you're drinking a bottle of Rittenhouse, correct? I am. That is a bottled and bond rye made in Kentucky by one of my favorite distillers, Heaven Hill. But they spell it S-K-Y. No E in that. So yeah. same thing with like Maker's Mark is a bourbon and they call it whiskey in early times. B.I.B. is a K.Y. instead of a K.E.Y. There's always going to be exceptions to that rule. Um, I tell a lot of people, don't worry too much about how you spell your whiskey. I agree. So my, my next question is, when we talk about the different regions that are producing whiskey, where, are, where is whiskey being produced mainly in the world? Sure. There's, there's kind of four big regions, in my opinion, and that's going to be bourbon, which Kentucky is going to be the bourbon capital of the world. Bourbon is a federally regulated term in the United States, though, so you can make bourbon anywhere in the United States as long as it's bottled at at least 80 proof. You age your whiskey for at least two years in an American oak barrel, and the mash bill, what it's made up of, is 51% corn. So a uh, lot of bourbon coming out of Kentucky, a lot of rye coming out of Kentucky, and then... The other three big players, Scotland, it's where they make scotch, Ireland for Irish whiskey, and then Japan for Japanese whiskey. And those four areas make a phenomenal product, but we're also seeing a huge, huge boom in craft distilling right now. I mean, look at Colorado. We have Laws, 291, Stranahan's, Mile High Spirits. There is, uh, you know, um, uh, Peach Street. And there's, it seems like every week there's a new craft distiller popping up. And a lot of times these people have the funding to start these distilleries and they can do something unique. I already mentioned they don't have the economies of scale as the big distillers do. So they have to do something unique to gain a competitive advantage. On Poet Up, we sat down with um, a distiller out of Pennsylvania and they were called Liberty. Uh, uh, excuse me. Um, uh, Liberty Pole. And we sat down, they do a peated rye and a peated bourbon, which is super, super interesting. Peat's usually something you see in the Islay region of Scotland, and they brought that over and made this fusion blend with their ryes and their bourbons. It's an awesome product. It's so unique that it's a really fun drinking experience. Yeah, and, and craft distilling really has taken off. You're, you're talking about Colorado. I, 
I do live in Colorado now, but I also came from Salt Lake City. That's mm-hmm. where High West started, was in Park City. Actually, their first distillery was in West Valley City, which is down in Salt Lake, before they moved to Park City. They also, we had Beehive Distillery. I have a, a very close friend that owns the Salt Flats Distillery down in Sandy, so shout out to them. But the idea is that craft distilling, I think, at least in the United States, is is... I would say probably where craft brewing was in the late nineties. It's, it's something that is really starting to take off. And that micro distillery process is hitting where it's becoming a local product, but it hasn't really blown up at the scale of craft beer yet. Yeah. What would you, when you, when you talk about that craft process, what would you say is the big differentiator you would see between a craft distillery and maybe a macro distillery, and w- w- what are the difference in production that they might have? Sure. And when we sat down with Liberty Pole, I mean, they they talk a lot about that. Um, number one, I said this gentleman has the the patience of a saint because it takes a long time to make good whiskey, and we're looking at a minimum of two to four years if you want to make a good quality product. Uh, Buffalo Trace just had a, a three billion dollar expansion to their distillery, so. If you look at what Buffalo Trace and Sazerac is doing, they have massive, massive amounts of land and the economies of scale to produce at a really high level. Someone like Liberty Pole is running their operation out of a basement and they have, you know, a certain amount of barrels. They just up their stash to uh, larger barrels to produce more alcohol. But you still have that time that it takes to create a good quality product and and again, it's it comes down to who's been around for a long time. But these craft distilleries are doing some really interesting things. It's funny you mentioned High West. I've got a couple bottles here from them. I have their Boo Rye. It's a blend of uh, 10-year at least old bourbons and rye. So they blend them together and call it the Boo Rye. they got a jackalope on the bottle there. Awesome, awesome whiskey. And then I have their American Prairie bourbon that's uh, port cask finished. So it's at least two years in an oak barrel. And then they age it in an additional year and five months in a brandy cast. So you get a lot of dessert flavors, chocolatey, sweet, sugary. It's um, They're doing some really cool stuff, which gives them kind of that um, a good head-to-head advantage against some of the big distillers that are making a quality product while keeping the price down. Yeah, and the big distillers will have a head start, right? So if you have a mm-hmm. distiller that's 100 years old, obviously they're going to have bourbon or whiskey with age on it. Whereas if you're starting, let's say you're a year old distillery, you're, you're kind of, you're, you're in that place where you're still trying to produce something that you can sell, but you may not even be producing whiskey yet. Right. Sure. And, and these craft distillers too, are, are usually have something else they're selling. It, it could be a vodka. It could be a gin, a kind of instantly distilled liquid that you can sell as alcohol because there's no aging process involved with that. Um, Liberty Pole is doing a bourbon cream, for example, and that's kind of their cash spirit while they're aging their whiskey. Um, it takes time. Uh, and again, you got to have a lot of patience to do that. Uh, I think I'm too impatient to make my own whiskey. I'd be checking on it too much. Yeah. We've done a couple shows here on the podcast where we've talked about distilling at home. And there's a lot of shortcuts that home distillers can do. Like, like I've actually seen videos of people doing things like sonic aging of whiskey where they take wood blocks, add it to the whiskey, hit it with hmm. a, a, a sound wave and it will actually age your whiskey in 
as little as a couple of days or hours versus having to wait years. Not that it, I, I, I've never tried that kind of whiskey and I'm not going to say that it's anything superior because I'm just inexperienced and I've seen some crazy internet videos and that means absolutely nothing. But on the other hand of that, you know, I do see a lot of distillers doing things like rum, vodka, those types of, Mm -hmm. of, of spirits to get started and then moving into whiskey five or six years down the road as they've built a business. What do you think is something when you try a newer whiskey or a newer distillery? When what what kind of characters are you looking for, as opposed to something that's larger? Like, and what I mean by that is, do you actually see a difference in flavor, or are they trying to mimic what the big guys are doing? Yeah, that's a great question. I'm happy to answer that, but it's really funny you mentioned using kind of sonic waves to pound a wood block to age the whiskey, Metallica. The band actually has their own whiskey out right now called Blackened. And the the shtick is when they're aging the whiskey, they're blasting Metallica tunes into it to try to, like, vibrate the whiskey into the oak barrel, which I think is hilarious. I can't imagine drinking a glass where I'm like, yeah, this one was aged to Master of Puppets for the last three years. (laughs) And... uh, uh, I'd be interested to try that out too, but we are seeing a lot of kind of like famous musicians making whiskey too. You got a uh, Bob Dylan did heaven's door. And then again, blackened by Metallica. And I think there's a few other ones out there. Um, when it comes to craft distilleries, I think sometimes they're trying to mimic the, the, the tastes of, of like the big guys, like a Buffalo trace or a heaven Hill, you know, some of those famous brands, um, uh, Rittenhouse rye is a great example. I, I like that one a lot. It, it's kind of that perfect rye. Um, Buffalo Trace, Elijah Craig, some of those other brands are really great bourbons. And when I'm looking at a bourbon, I, I anytime I smell it, taste it, I get kind of a lot of vanilla, sugar, caramel, oak. You want it to, to taste like that. You, sometimes the older ones can have like this kind of dusty corn, which could be really sweet, like a cream corn flavor in there. Um, these craft distillers, I think, sometimes are largely trying to mimic that, but they're also trying to have their own uh, unique calling card. And I think Liberty Pole is a great example of that. They're doing, um, they're adding peated bourbon, they're adding peat to their bourbons and scotch. So you get kind of this smoky flavor on the back end with some of those traditional flavors. And their peated rye was a very young rye, so it didn't have as robust a flavors as a Rittenhouse or like a Parker's Heritage rye that I have here on my desk. They're making up for it by adding something completely different with this peat and taking a different direction there. Uh, if we look at something local like uh, 80 Laws out of Colorado, they're using all locally sourced ingredients. They're using uh, San Luis Valley rye, uh, Colorado water. They're doing everything they can to keep things local and to really play to the state of Colorado and the locals that are here. And they're adding more and more age. So the first release of bourbon was, you know, two years. And then they're three years. And now they're four years. And they've got a bottled and bond. And they keep going. They've got an Iron Maiden barrel. I'm just waiting for them to release that one so I can get, you know, 666, the number of the beast, get a bottle of 80 laws with that on it and see how it is. So metal of you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to run run to the hills for that one, all right? Oh man, so punny. <laughs> <laughs> well, let let's let's talk a bit about your show and the kind of topics that you guys cover cuz I think that you know, 
I have this is a, a homebrewing podcast. Normal this is very much outside of my normal kind of subject matter, even though yeah, we do talk about spirits, but we usually talk about making them yourself at home or making beer or alcohol in general at home. I I'd like to talk a bit about what it is that you do on your show that really helps you guys stand out. I know I know you guys taste a lot of whiskey, but you guys talk about why you should what you should be looking for and and the different types of whiskey you're trying, right? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's that's the main point of this is we have a lot of local liquor stores that are really supportive of the podcast and they've helped us get some of these mega allocated bottles, super hard stuff to get. I had a couple bottles out of the Buffalo Trace Antique collection, like a William LaRue Weller and a George T. Stag and had some old Fitzgeralds from Heaven Hill. Um, part of the shtick is we're, we're talking everything whiskey and we're just trying out all these different super allocated ones. You know, is it worth the price? What kind of flavors do you get? We love to talk about the smells, so you do a nose, then you do the palate, talk about the mouth feel and the taste that you get, and then what's the finish like? Is it you know is it long lingering? Do you get some a dynamic drinking experience when you have this? When we first started, we had a bottle of Blanton's in Rock Hill Farms, and we sat down and we're like, all right, let's drink these. Um, what the hell are we doing? <laughs> and uh, it gets better with age, so it was definitely an awkward first episode. We tried to script an intro, and it took us like an hour and a half, and I was just going crazy. And I was like, let's just drink whiskey and talk about it. So we do the the nose, palate, mouthfeel, you know, where we got the bottle, what the whiskey hunt looks like, because a lot of these whiskeys that we're drinking on the show, you can't just walk into a store and get. There's a crazy allocated market for, for whiskey right now. Bourbon in particular has really taken off, and... Some of the scotches I have are discontinued or they're hard to get. Japanese is running out of supply. So we were very fortunate to have some amazing Japanese bottles too and award-winning bottles too. You know, if something wins an award, I want to see if it stands up to that award. And we can be a little bit picky about that. But oftentimes, if I'm getting one of these really great bottles, it can offer something totally unique and a really great drinking experience. So we love to talk about those things on the show. Devin has perfect comedic timing, my, my co-host on the show. So he's he's a riot to listen to. And then our producer, Rose Haig, is, you know, she's listening for uh, things that we should be saying. She keeps us in line if we end up drinking a little bit too much whiskey on the show. And <laughs> if we're doing a, a heavy tasting like we did on our, our Weller lineup, we had six bottles of Weller. And we just went bam, 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 one after another to drink these Wellers. By the end of it, we needed a... We needed to be kept in line a little bit. So she's she's keeping the ship going and, and providing some interesting content ideas. Oftentimes, she's got a really good palate, too, so she can add to some of the things that we're tasting, sniffing, you know, what the finish looks like. She loves sitting around uh, drinking the whiskey with us, too, when we're producing the show. That's awesome. And you, l- let's talk about you, you get a lot of these allocated whiskeys or these hard-to-find spirits that you can't really just walk into a store and get. But you also were coming up with a show that's your 10th show and you're doing all $10 bottles, right? Mm-hmm. When do you find that there are certain types of whiskeys or certain types of spirits that hold up to these hard to finds? Can, could you name maybe something that is easier to find that you think holds up to the big boys? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We did a budget pick episode. I think it was two or three. So, hey, if you only got a few bucks to spend on whiskey, you're not looking to do an extensive hunt. You don't want to network and spend a ton of money with a shop or build those relationships. What can you find? That's a good bargain. My favorite is just Evan Williams Bottled and Bond. Comes on a white label. I can get it for 14 bucks at Total Wine. And I, I say it's the champ of budget picks, and it punches way outside of its weight class. One night I got a little inebriated, and I kept saying that's my friend. So now if I see him, he's conditioned to say it punches way, way outside of its weight class. I'm like, hey, Evan, what do you think about Evan Williams bottled and bond? He goes, it's the champ, punches way outside of its weight class. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Evan Williams bottled and bond is awesome. Regular Buffalo Trace is great. If you want something with a little less spice, something that's a lot smoother, I think... Uh, Jameson is awesome. You can't go wrong with that. Jameson and ginger is a fantastic cocktail. Super easy to make. Can't screw it up. And then there's a lot of whiskeys that are, are kind of like bottom shelf whiskeys that make great mixers. And there's a lot of them that hold up on their own too. Um, Rose and I played a game the other day on our podcast where we did mystery pours. And she nailed hers. I gave her the uh, Lagavulin 11. That's the Nick Offerman edition. Ron Swanson for all you Parks and Rec fans out there. And she gave me something that totally caught me off guard. I drank it. I said, it's so smooth. It's got awesome cinnamon, great flavors, nice finish, good oak, spice. I'm like, is this Buffalo Trace? She said, nope. I said, is this Elijah Craig? She said, nope. I said, is this Red Spot Irish? Because it's Marsala cask finish, so it maintains a lot of the bourbon uh, flavors, even though it's a 15-year Irish whiskey. She said, nope. And she goes, it's the bottom of the bottom. And I, I was completely stumped. She said, Wild Turkey 101. And I go, oh, man, I have been completely bamboozled. And it was great. I really liked it. So after I tried that, I, you know, I threw my preconceptions aside of wild turkey. and I said, all right, maybe I need to revisit this line here. But um, High West is doing some really cool stuff, and I really like the whiskeys they have. That's what both of us are drinking right now. And as far as some craft whiskeys go, there, there's a bunch in Colorado that are doing some cool things. 291's offering an interesting lineup. Um, 80 Laws is doing some great stuff, and I like uh, Mile High Spirits. Their uh, their bourbon Fireside is like 22 bucks. You can find it everywhere. It doesn't have a whole lot of dynamic or crazy flavors, but it, it tastes a lot like just a traditional bourbon, which I like a lot. And then uh, Mythology is the one out of Denver too. That's pretty good. Actually, the master distiller from Myth Mythology came from High West in Utah. And when we talk about the different types of flavors you're looking for, what is it? What are the characters in whiskey that you're not going to find in things in other spirits, right? So there's, and I know that, like for example, bourbon tastes very different than uh, a Scotch kind of whiskey, and an mm -hmm. Irish whiskey is going to be very different. And so, what what would you say, at least from an American whiskey standpoint, wh what is the flavor profile you're trying to hit? Yeah, and before I answer that, let me. Th I'm looking at my whiskey rack here. I just want to give a couple shout-outs to some other findable brands I think are really great. Elijah Craig Bourbon is awesome. The father of bourbon. 1792 is a weeded bourbon from Buffalo Trace. Balvini is one of my favorite scotches. They are doing such great stuff. Phenomenal, phenomenal whiskeys. Um, the Jim Beam lineup's great, too. Really like it. E.H. Taylor, Eagle Rare. I mean, I could just go on and on and on. For Irish... Got to check out Red Breast. It's awesome. Made at Middleton Distillery. Love that stuff. When it comes to different flavors, I feel like 
oftentimes on the nose of the whiskey, you can identify kind of the region it comes from. Bourbon, again, is going to have that caramel, that oak, the vanilla, the spice. Um, scotch, Highland scotch is going to be really honeyed. And then the Islay scotch is going to be usually pretty heavily peated. And then Japanese whiskey has the craziest noses out of all of them. Um, Nika has two different whiskeys from two different distilleries, the Miyagikyo distillery and the Yoichi distillery. Those ones are unlike any other whiskeys that I've had, and they have crazy, crazy flavors. The Yoichi is banana and tobacco, which is such a weird thing to smell on a whiskey. And then to have it be kind of chewy and translate to the mouthfeel. The Miyagikyo is green apple, coconut, tobacco, which if you think about whiskey... Those are three flavors that I feel like just don't belong, but it works really well. It's a perfectly refined product. When it comes to bourbon, again, I kind of mentioned those quintessential bourbon aspects and smells that you're looking for along with tastes, but you'll also get a lot of like uh, toasted sugar. If you think about kind of like aged sweetness, that musty corn that I talked about. Here's a really uh, pretentious bourbon term, stone fruit. So a lot of like, it's Plum in beer or anything, too. yeah, anything Any, that would have a pit. Yeah, and the funny thing is, is that with the, all of the crazy hops in beer, everything comes across as stone fruit right now. That's the hot word as well in beer. <laughs> yeah, stone fruit. It's such a, it's such a weird thing. I've never like got back from a run, and I'm like, I'm so hungry. I could just really use a big old help and a stone fruit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, a peach or a pear. That that's usually sure. Not a pear. I'm sorry. A peach or an apricot. That's usually what I think of with stone fruit. But yeah. Yeah. I've run into like cherry, watermelon, orange peel, citrus is a big one, lemon peel. Those can be flavors that you're going to find in whiskey. And when I do whiskey tastings, I will like isolate myself in a room and I'll close my eyes and just think about the whiskey for like 30 minutes. And I'll just sit around and drink it and then try to write everything down. So I've been doing some reviews on Reddit. And then I try to identify some of those really cool and unique flavors when we're, we're on the show too. If I were to want to really get into whiskey let's say i wanted to really study the product and learn more about the flavors and how to properly taste it what are some good resources out there other than your podcast to learn more yeah i think um i think go out and try things right really step outside your comfort zone too if you've only ever drank bourbon or rye try some scotch try some japanese there's a lot of world whiskey coming out too there's some famous whiskeys from france there's some famous whiskeys from India. There's a, a company out of Taiwan called, um, um, uh, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on them right now, but uh, there, there's some phenomenal, phenomenal whiskeys out there. So I think if you really wanted to jump back into it, try some things outside your comfort zone. That's a great way to do it. Otherwise, there's a ton of bourbon resources out there. Uh, World Whiskey Reviews, too. Reddit is a great place as well. If you can follow r slash bourbon or r slash scotch, there's going to be some awesome reviews that you can see on there. People are, are coming up with some really unique flavors, and they're reviewing hard-to-get bottles. They're reviewing easy-to-get bottles. There's kind of a good mix of everything. If you just simply use Google and Google some of the whiskey that you're, you're interested in, I guarantee you come up with reviews and resources to learn more about them um, from the actual distillers and then from the community as well. I know that you've traveled to taste a lot of whiskeys. I know that in just our conversations, I know you've gone to like the national wiki whiskey conference and things like that. When you travel to try all these different types of spirits, what are those kind of trips like? 
Yeah, um, I went to Whiskey Fest two years in a row. So 2017 was in San Fran, and then 2018 was in New York City. And great reminder to drink responsibly. <laughs> uh, Whiskey Fest has 86 distillers and 475 whiskeys, and you can't possibly drink all of them. Except in New York City, I tried my damnedest to to get a, all, as much as I could with an 8 a.m. flight the next day, which is just an absolute recipe for disaster. Why would you do that to yourself? <laughs> it was the cheapest way and the dumbest decision I've made to date. You know, I just I had borderline alcohol poisoning because I was just <laughs> drinking so much whiskey. Um, long story about how I threw up on the highway in New York and... Uh, left a big fat tip for my uber driver <laughs> um the the trip is awesome though and, and if you really want to get into whiskey that's a great way to do it i think back in 2017 i i had an idea of what i liked for whiskey but man that opened my eyes to so many different flavors and companies um there's just too much to do and too much to see but you can go try everything for kind of a set price and i think that's a really great way to do it and with VIP tickets to Whiskey Fest, everybody's bringing out the the top of the top to, you know, compete for Whiskey of the Year, and all the big hitters are there. There's also a lot of small companies that you you probably haven't heard of that are making phenomenal products. So that's a great way to just try new things, and you can also meet a lot of people there too that are also interested in whiskey. I think we've, you know, Devin and I camped out for some whiskey last year and some allocated lines and went to events. It was a great way to uh, just chat whiskey and chat shop with people that were looking to do the same thing and that were passionate about the spirits. I want to dive into the Japanese styles. And the reason I want to dive into them is that I'm in agreement with you that the Japanese stuff out there right now is so unique to anything else that is in the whiskey world. If I wanted to go out today and try something from Japan, is there something I could get that's actually easy to get? Um, probably. And unfortunately, anything from Suntory is going to be tough to get. And the stuff that they have available would probably be like the House Suntory Toki. Excuse me, T-O-K-I. Which I've had. Um, it's a, it's, it's a phenomenal I, bottle. I think it's I think it's pretty good, but it doesn't get close to some of the age statement things that they're offering from like the Yamazaki 12, the Hakushu 12, and the Hibiki 12. You could still find the Yamazaki and the Hakushu 12s, but they're running about $149 for a bottle, so you'd pay a premium for those. Um, Nika is an awesome, awesome company. Everything they make is great. Um, I can usually find their Miyagikyo and their Yoichi for $80 at Total Wine. And then in their allocated section, usually on the weekends, if you're out there bourbon hunting or whiskey hunting, uh, they keep some bottles of the Nika from the barrel, which was the 2018 Whiskey of the Year. It's simply a blend of 100 constituent barrels from the Yoichi and the Miyagi-Gyo distilleries. They keep that up at the front. It's usually $64 for a 750 bottle, and it's phenomenally good. It offers so much robust flavors. It's a unique drinking experience every time. Nika is great. Um, the other one I really like right now is called Kayo, and Kayo means waves in Japan, and it's, they, funny enough, they don't call it a Japanese whiskey, quote-unquote, because they ship the whiskey by boat down to Osaka for three months, so it's actually aged for the final three months of its lifetime offshore, so it can't legally be called a Japanese whiskey, 
but that one's popping up their barrel proof is the cask strength Kayo is awesome. I see that one at total wine all the time. And what, what's different about the process that you get from Japanese whiskeys that's very different than like a bourbon or a scotch or an Irish whiskey? Sure. Um, one of the whiskeys you can get from Suntory, I may have spoke too soon, is called the Habiki Harmony. That's kind of their core product in the United States right now. And it tastes a lot like a, a Highland Scotch. And the reason behind that is when Suntory was learning how to make whiskey, he went door to door in Scotland. Suntory was a chemist, traveled to Scotland, knocked on distilleries until somebody took him in, took a bunch of meticulous notes, took him back to Japan. They started refining their own whiskeys. Uh, Japanese whiskey can be very similar at times to scotch and particularly Highland Scotch, but they also use uh, Japanese peat too. So sometimes there's some smokiness on the back end and some tobacco flavors. I think, you know, like other fine Japanese products, they, they take something that's been around and make it their own and make refinements to it. And they've, they've come out with some exceptional things. Um, how they get the crazy flavors in their whiskey, that I, I, I'm not sure, but I, I hope they keep doing it and experimenting with some of those really unique things. Yeah. If I were to want to find your show, what, what, what podcast platforms are you guys on? We are on Spotify, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. It's just on Poet Up. Okay. And do you guys have Facebook, all that stuff? Oh, yeah. Facebook and Instagram. I like to whip out my Nikon and take really nice photos of whiskey bottles and make sure the, the content is great. I put some slow-mo videos up for my birthday celebration this month. Um, that is at Poet Up Official. P-O-I-T-U-P Official. Okay. And I, I first of all, want to, Mike, thank you so much for coming on the show. I, it, this was a, a great conversation in learning about how to taste whiskey and all of the things in the world of distilling that's going on right now, specifically around whiskey. And, you know, if you're looking for a new show to check out, please check out the Poet Up podcast. And like you said, it's on Apple, Stitcher, and uh, and iHeartRadio. Yeah, and as awesome. well as... As well Spotify, as Spotify, Spotify, iTunes, and iHeartRadio. You got it. Yep, I'll, I'll put a link to his to his iTunes link and his Spotify link. So if you, if you want to check it out, you can. And uh, yeah, Mike, thank you for being on the show. I'm really excited to uh, share what you've been doing with uh, my audience. Hey, Coulter, I, I definitely appreciate it. It's always a pleasure to talk about what we do and share a good dram of whiskey with you. I'd like to thank Mike for taking the time to be on this week's show. It was great to have a good conversation with him about all of the different types of whiskey in the world and some of the things that's involved with having to pursue them. If you'd like more information about Mike and his podcast, head to our show notes at homebrewingdiy.beer or just look at the bottom of your podcast app and you should see him there. Well, that's it for this week and we'll see you next week on Homebrewing DIY.